Welcome to the 24th episode of the Front End Happy Hour. It's the very first episode of 2017, and we are all really excited for a brand new year of interesting topics and discussions. To kick off the new year, we'll be discussing the trends that happened in 2016. In this episode, we discuss and share our opinions of things that have happened to the front end community over the past year. Before we get started, let's go around the table and introduce today's panelists. Mars, you want to start it off? Sure. Hi, I'm Mars Julian. I'm a senior front-end engineer at Netflix. I'm Brian Holt, and I luckily wasn't fired in 2016. Jim Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. Stacey London, front-end dev at Atlassian. I'm Ryan Aklum. I'm a front-end engineer at Netflix. Do we call ourselves that anymore? We're software engineers now. I'm a front-end software engineer. (laughs) You can call yourself whatever you want. (laughs) And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's episode ta- keyword is? Trends. Trends. So if any of us say the word trends, we will all take a drink. All right. Well, let's get started. I would love to hear what are some notable things that happened in 2016? So I think the first thing uh, that comes to mind for me is that we finally started questioning React a little bit and we started looking at other alternatives. Things like Preact started coming into to play a little bit, uh, Vue.js, and a whole other um, host of kind of things that are making us look at just pulling in React as a default framework uh, for front-end projects. Um, I think that was a, a huge thing that started happening in towards the end of 2016. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting one. And like you have another one that I just learned about actually this year was Inferno, I, but I think that was around in 2016 as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to question why both Preact and Inferno came up, right? And it, I think it's indicative of a larger trend, cheers, <laughs> <laughs> that we're starting to give a shit more about developing countries, places with poor mobile, places with poor internet connectivity. And React is not a small library. It's 45 kilobytes when you gzip it, minify it. And uh, I did the math because I just gave a talk about it. That's like two seconds just downloading your framework. And that sucks on, t- on 2G, that is, which is pretty slow. But even still, two seconds downloading a framework, it's a serious bummer. That's with no code either. That is just the framework. Just the framework, <laughs> right? And so at this point, we're kind of starting questions like, are we getting two seconds worth of productivity out of this? And my argument is like, not much is worth two seconds, right? That's battery, that's data, that's a whole bunch of things that you just can't afford to give up. Yeah, and I think actually watching your presentation, I found really interesting was the size of other frameworks as well. Angular and Ember were both 111 or 110 kilobytes. 111, 112, and that's nine seconds. Nine seconds on a 2G network. On a 2G network. That's insane. It's crazy. And so that's why Preact, that's why Inferno are kind of coming in and say like, cool, I'm going to be a half second on 2G, right? That's what Preact is. And that's like you still get most of your React comforts. You still get um, really fast renderings and good enough renderings on things like, you know, a crappy phone. And so I think that's that's where this uh, questioning of React is coming from. I'd also like it bears mentioning that I think React is going to get better. They just hired the guy that did Inferno to work on React itself. So uh, they're, they're definitely thinking about it for sure. So unrelated to that, a notable thing that I saw happening was the move of a lot of engineers away from startups into bigger corporations, actually. You know, there's a lot of the bubbles bursting, blah, blah, blah. But I think a lot of people saw that most startups aren't going to make you rich. And there's sometimes more logic in just working for a bigger corporation and learning something and having the perks and benefits. Yeah, you don't get that. We could be millionaires, but you're not going to be a millionaire anyways. Like, I, but I think we're all starting to realize that. Like, that the hype is over. We're starting to kind of level out a bit more. Is we'd rather have real stock than stock that may pay us off later? Is that what you're getting at? Or yeah. yeah. Well, and I think like at least from what I've seen, even like some of those startups that do pan out, like Box, for example, right? They didn't really pan out huge, even for the early people that invested. And Box like hit it as pretty big right like big enough right? like we've all heard of box right mm-hmm. uh they ipo and everything like that and there's an article out from one of the developers that worked there and he basically got his money back that he would have made at a big corporation so he took a ton of risk by not working at a big corporation and he basically his panning out was that he made his money back right i'm not trashing on box like i don't actually really understand too much of the economics about it but just the the, the reality of that situation kind of sucks but it's happening more and more. Like we see, 
many unicorns. I'm doing air quotes for people who can't see <laughs> unicorns. You can um, hear the mic. <laughs> Everyone's cringing. Yeah. You sound like dreams. <laughs> 2015 was like, that's all you heard. Like, oh, Slack's at a billion. Theranos is like way over a billion. Palantir, all these companies, like go work for them. You'll get rich. And then 2016, they all tanked. They all tank laying off people, things like that. And I don't know. We're we're kind of sick of playing the lottery now. We just want like a stable job. Maybe it's just the, the community's getting older and more mature. Maybe it's just my circle of friends. I don't know. Yeah, that could be it too. It's just who we're talking to more often. Yeah, because the startups are still finding people to work there. So it might be also attracting new talent from other places other than Silicon Valley. At least the recruiters that send me messages and that I talk to, they're, they're giving better salaries and less equity, right? And I think that's just kind of coming around as well. I think uh, there, we also saw some things that were released this past year in 2016. Uh, one that I was super stoked on, I'm sure others can agree, was Yarn. Yarn was really cool, something that I never would have expected. It was something that kind of just came out of nowhere. And for being so new, it's, uh, we're using it at Atlassian uh, on the on product that I'm working on, and the speed is phenomenal. Like the the difference in just doing your install when you're setting up your project is. Uh, it's 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 very noticeable. I've just seen how easy it is to switch to yarn into like just add it and you're pretty much done. Yeah, there's like uh, they flip back and forth really easy. Like uh, yarn publish is actually having a lot of problems for us like internally, um, but just flop back to npm publish and it's no problem. That's awesome. My favorite thing about it is it's deterministic, <laughs> so you eliminate an entire class of problems just by saying like. No matter what state I'm in right now, if I run yarn install, I'm going to get the same product no matter what. I think that's a big deal. Another big thing that was released was Angular 2.0. That was something that we'd heard about in like 2015, and I felt like it was never going to get released. And yes, it finally finally made the the cut of 2016. And now we're talking about Angular 4. (laughs) (laughs) How did we get from 2 to 4? Well, how did we get from uh, React 0.14 to 15? It, it just happens. It just happens. It just happens. <laughs> no, it's awesome. Uh, it's, it's cool. It's a cool framework. It uh, has lots of really cool features that I think are going to push the web forward. But it's, we're going back to what I was talking about earlier. It's a huge framework. It's heavy. Yeah, 110 kilobytes with, without RxJS, and they encourage you to include RxJS, which brings it up to like 145. Well, and RxJS is fairly large. Yeah. It is, just by itself. Most definitely. And we got RxJS 5 this year, too, didn't we? Yeah, we we did, actually. That's right. Shout out, Ben Lesh. This actually brings up a a trend. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. That I wanted to talk about. I think this year in front-end, or not in front-end, but particularly JavaScript, we kind of learned to not fear the major version. Like, I feel like before, we were all like, the major version's like an entire rewrite every single time, right? And I feel like in 2016, you know, React jumped to 15. I think that happened this year. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Angular uh, is now moving from like these huge releases to like, you know, Angular 3, Angular 4. Those are kind of quickly follow. Uh, we moved away from this idea that major releases are, you know, big monstrosities and that, that we're kind of more observing Semver or semantic versioning. And it's okay, right? It's okay to bump the major version. What about trends that in 2016 that you... Cheers. 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 <laughs> in the question. <laughs> I know we've mentioned some notable things that happened, but what are some things that you really liked? That came out? Yeah. Uh, one thing I was going to say is that I feel like Mozilla caught up this year. Like, I'm, I'm a big Firefox fanboy now. Like, I, I think it comes up on every episode of the podcast. Last couple of episodes in 2016, you did. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's a trend. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> that was intentional. That was intentional. But I feel like they caught up this year. I feel like particularly with uh, their multi-process coming into to the stable version, um, to adding containers to, to a bunch of stuff that Mozilla is kind of like back on the viable browsers list. And that, that was something that made me really happy. I'll say the same thing was happening for Microsoft, actually. They hired a lot of really smart people like uh, Nolan Lawson, really good dude. Um, Rachel Naboris, too. Oh, yeah. A lot of really smart engineers. They're trying to revamp their image. They're talking about using Chakra, which is their JavaScript engine, in Node instead of V8, which I think is fantastic. I definitely welcome innovation in Node, and it's good to see they're pushing the envelope a little bit. They have ways to go, but they're definitely making inroads, and it's good because we don't want just Google being the dominant browser all the time because nobody wins if that happens. Definitely. Microsoft is definitely trending up, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Microsoft Code now is my default Node debugger. Whenever I'm writing Node, I fire up Microsoft Code and use that as my debugger. So, 
I'm glad Derek's not here to hear that. <laughs> That's too funny that we're talking about Microsoft as like a good thing. In a positive light. Yeah. <laughs> we're picking on Derek for working at Microsoft. I mean, before I ordered this, the new MacBook Pro, I seriously considered getting a, Surface? a Windows Surface Book. Hmm. Um, I even tried to get, I ran a Windows 10 VM and tried to get my Vim set up going in, in Bash. Um, I was having a few too many problems, so when the time came, I still went with a Mac. But How are you feeling now? I don't hate this Mac. <laughs> I really actually don't hate it. I like it. Can we talk about Apple now? Yeah, definitely. We could even talk about trends. We haven't gone to the dislike. Yeah, we could go talk about trends that we dislike. What? Or we could finish oh, off. Man. Cheers. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll, I'll wait for my Apple rant. One of the things that I, I liked a lot was seeing um, that a lot of the sort of new CSS frameworks that we can use in tw that came out in 2015 are sort of starting being pieced together in 2016 in terms of people starting to have a conversation about how we can do our layouts better using like CSS Flex, like Flexbox and CSS Grid and, and taking the best of sort of all of the new things that have come out and talking about how we can not only engineer our sites better, but we can also make them, you know, more interactable and in, in like a lighter weight sense with, you know, the focus on mobile and that kind of thing. And it's been really interesting to see, you know, people move more towards working with CSS as more of a language, even though it's not really fully a language, but we're starting to, to think about its features more holistically, if that makes any sense. Yeah, seeing people use Flexbox for real. Pretty much the first time, I think, in 2016. Browsers are supporting it, which is good. We can actually use it. Yeah, and people starting to put out guides and, and like good references and finally having the conversation about this is how we should be doing our styles. Yeah, I, I think uh, along those lines, IE6 is dead, right? Like we're, we're pretty well like calling that one dead. Yeah. Uh, and 7 and 8 and 9 and pretty much 10 as well are, are all pretty much dead as well. Like most companies can feel okay supporting like IE11 and up. I think there's still a lot of people still supporting like nine and 10. I, I, I feel like that's still fairly high. I was gonna say there's still a lot of uh, big enterprisey air quotes, uh, financial institutions, those kind of places that have like spent like millions of dollars building like internal web apps that happen to just only work on IE8 and we're built for IE6 and we're working on quirks mode. <laughs> <laughs> there's still for sure like an amazing amount of money that it would take to convert a lot of internal apps to like work on modern browsers. But there's enterprise mode, there's whatever the different modes that uh, Microsoft is still supporting. Yeah, which is awesome, like, because Edge ships with that, right? Yeah, so you can switch it back to IE6 mode, and from what I understand, that works with just about everything that needs it. You know, another thing that I thought of about 2016 is JavaScript education has really come a long way. I think it's, it's super easy to get started and learn JavaScript these days and it's getting better and better and there's so many more people putting out really really high quality talks and high quality tutorials um, I think that's it's just getting better and better to piggyback off that actually I think that's really interesting that you brought that up because I think people are making the developer experience better for front end but also it's kind of elevating front end to a new level because it's making it easier for you know other types of engineers to play around with front end and to realize that you know front end engineering it's not that easy it's not so simple and seeing like the conferences and the community just rally around you know we're kind of becoming more of a thing we're becoming more recognized we've got more tools we've got more languages frameworks and everything and it's really interesting to see last year just you know the community become a little bit more emboldened for that reason people mm -hmm. making it easier for other developers to enter is kind of elevating the community as a whole I don't know what it was, but something you said there reminded me that strongly typed JavaScript now has been a really big thing in 2016 that I really, really liked. You're seeing more and more, like it's not that they're necessarily new languages, but something like TypeScript. No, it's become, it's, way, it's more become way more popular in yeah. 2016. I think that, that one is, I mean, I remember looking at it years ago, but never looked at it again. And now I feel like it's popping up more and more. And I, I think I like it more now too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've definitely been way more accepting of it this, especially this year than I ever had been before. Same with Elm and Flow as well. One trend that, uh, cheers. 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 <laughs> that, uh, I think, I'm not sure if I, I like it or dislike it. It's more of maybe a little bit nebulous to me is the progressive web app concept and how that kind of got a lot of play this year and how to actually do that. I think it's a lot, there's a lot of talk about it and there's a lot of uh, excitement about it, but there isn't a lot of, I think, concrete, here's how you go about doing it. I know Adi, Adi Asmani's done some really good talks about like, here's some frameworks and here's some examples of how you do it, but I think you hear a lot of buzz about it, but I think like the community as a whole, the front end dev community, wants a little bit more of like, 
how, how might you go about doing that? And then the other part that's interesting to me about that is the whole code splitting, progressive web, like only to get the resources you need and like having done web development for a really long time, it's so funny to me. It's like this like full circle, mm -hmm. like, oh, you mean like a multi-page web app where you go <laughs> and get only the resources you need when you request that new page? Like that, it's, it's very interesting to me to see kind of that full circle. That's actually one that I wish we saw more progress on was just progressive web apps. I, I think I wish I saw a little more of it. I think there's a lot of steam behind it, but not really people actually implementing and really pushing that forward. A lot of people are talking about it and excitement around it, but I just am not seeing it enough, which is I would love in 2017 to see more of that. I think we will. Yeah, like, I, uh, I, I think we will. Yeah, I, I'd say speaking of progressive web apps, I think 2016 for me, I saw the rise of JavaScript as being a viable alternative for an app because 2015 was very much, we were wrong, we can't replace everything with a web page, go back to native. And then 2016, we we're like, actually, React Native came along and it's more popular. And actually, with uh, service workers, we can do a lot. We can actually make a viable like mobile app out of JavaScript. And that's something I really, really liked, actually. We're, Kind of JavaScript coming full circle again. I bet next year I'll probably be down. Again. I was gonna say <laughs> this is gonna be a 2017 trend. I'm cheers. <laughs> I think uh, Webpack 2 was a big deal for for 2016. Going back to code splitting and all that kind of stuff. That's gonna make a I don't know the the whole experience for everyone a lot better. What was the big change for Webpack 2? Uh, it got more complicated, but it allowed things like code splitting. Um, it allowed I don't know. There's a, there's a whole bunch of features that, because you could do code splitting as well into Webpack One. But I think ES6 module support, um, which then allowed for live code inclusion or uh, tree shaking, to be in Webpack, which is really really cool. So you can just you know pull out all your code that you don't need. That's the feature I was most excited about because it just you get less code, you get less kilobytes for free, which is always good. Yeah. Getting to that 2G networks is a lot easier at that point. For sure. Oh, we totally forgot to mention, yeah, Facebook hiring all the React people and the Babel people too. Like, Actually, you're right. Like that was all in 2016. Yeah, like, they early, snapped up a lot of people. Now. Yeah, definitely. They got Dominic Ganaway, who's the Inferno guy. They got James Kyle, who's the compiler guy. <laughs> from Babel. <laughs> from, and now on Flow. Did, did, did Dan Abramoff get hired yeah. this year? Yeah, who's yeah, the Redux was, guy? I think it was this year. I mean, I feel like I'm selling these people short by calling them like the Redux guy, right? But they're all fantastic people. I mean, Redux was huge, so I mean, I wouldn't be ashamed to be called the Redux guy for that. <laughs> well, I mean, the rise of Redux was meteoric this year. I feel like the the standard now we're to the point we're to the point with Redux that we're telling people not to use it, right? <laughs> I think that's something. I mean, we're jumping around here, but I think that's something we'll see in 2017 is probably less people using Redux. Honestly, I I think it's cool. It's a great idea but I don't think its application is for everybody. And you can't just throw it in your app and be like, done. Same thing for functional program. I like and dislike it. I like functional programming. I think people should learn it, but it's not a panacea. It's like not gonna solve all your problems automatically. Just like type JavaScript is not gonna solve all your problems. It's more, I hope to see in 2017, people are just educated about what to use and when to use it. And just learn these things and know when to inject into your application, not necessarily, you know, Ryan Burgess says, use this, and you're going to use it, and it's going to like fix your company. It, obviously, it's going to fix everything. It's going to fix everything. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's how I base all my decisions is Ryan Burgess. <laughs> Whatever Ryan says, we're good. WebKit reaching 100% ES6 this year. That was pretty exciting. Oh, totally. We haven't even touched on ES6 is the fact that we're actually using it so much more It's now. like the, the standard now, right? Yeah. Oh, that was the biggest surprise of 2016. Who would have thought the first browser to reach full ES6 compatibility would have been Safari? Not me. Yeah, I would have bet my car on it not being so still blown away by that. Yeah, actually, one hundred percent. This is WebKit, right? Let, let, let's not let's let's split hairs at this True, moment. But but it, it is, is Safari that Safari. has it, right? Safari like nine. it's full on WebKit, so they have. That. I know, but it wasn't Apple that did it. It was WebKit that did. it. Fair enough. And Safari just benefited because they chose WebKit. Yeah. Not all those, all those people work at Apple. That's one thing I I've disliked in twenty sixteen is having moved down here in the valley where you know we're. Um, we're in Los Gatos and Netflix and Apple's in Cupertino. I literally know maybe one Apple engineer. I just never see them. I never hear about what goes on. I, I really don't like that. I didn't know it was like that mysterious until I moved out here. And I just, I've never heard an Apple engineer give a talk. I have no idea what they're working on. No idea what they're excited about. 
it's hard. They're just that's one thing that Apple's really bad about. And maybe good at too sometimes and when I think of their hardware releases, which aren't as secretive anymore. I mean, I feel like Mac Rumors pretty much guesses it every single time. <laughs> but I do feel like they're lacking in that, in their, you know, speaking and contributing back. Wish, yeah, yeah, contributing back and really getting involved in the community. I completely agree. I think it's just a black box there. You have no idea what they're doing or what they're thinking. I, I do know a few of their engineers and that like they're phenomenal people. I, I think it's just that their legal department's overly cautious about a lot of this stuff. Yeah, it's not the engineer's fault or anything. Getting on that topic of dislikes, uh, for me, one thing like while we're on Apple is <laughs> I feel like they made a lot of stupid mistakes in, in their hardware. I'm not a fan of the new iPhone at all. I, I hate that I don't have a headphone jack and I know it's pretty minor, but it after using it for what, like, you know, three or four months, it's it's pretty painful. It's like you can't charge your phone and listen to music at the same time <laughs> without an adapter. All right, fine. You know, I know someone will say that. <laughs> No, but it is a pain. Like I took uh, my wife to the airport and I, I took her her Bose headphones and I like gave it to her. She was getting on the plane. She's like, I, I can't use these. Like I, you didn't bring my adapter, did you? And I was like, my dongle. Your dongle. <laughs> 2017 will be the year of the dongle. <laughs> that should have been the drinking word. <laughs> Trend, dongle. <laughs> well, and I, th- what bothers me is I actually have safety tied my dongle on my expensive headphones so that i can either plug it into my macbook or plug it into the dongle into my phone i looked at that thing i'm gonna lose it like immediately i I think within the first day i did lose it temporarily and was like oh shit where is this dongle and it took me a while to find it so after that i safety tied it and it stays on the headphones have any of you tried the earbuds or the I, I will say AirPods. that's actually a like for me. Our a co- our coworker uh, Nofel, he has some, and I was pretty impressed with them. I haven't actually heard the sound, so maybe that's. I, I think they're about the same as the old earbuds, yeah. but they were super impressive in the fact that like, if I'm coming up to talk to him, he removes one out of his ear and it pauses. Just by him removing it out of his ear, okay, that's cool. Um, when he puts it back in his ear, it starts playing. If you're playing from your phone. Like if you're not plugged into like headphones or anything, you're just trying to play music from the speaker of the phone and then you connect your headphones, it automatically just syncs onto your headphones. And I think a lot of that, I was like, okay, wow, that's, that's well pretty impressive. Out. Yeah, it was really well thought out, especially after seeing the iPhone and the MacBook Pro. I was impressed. Yeah, yeah no, those don't interact well. No, definitely not. So talking about MacBook Pros, because I've just been chomping at the bit for this. I, I fucking hate the new MacBook Pro. <laughs> You've all been waiting for this. Uh, I got one, uh, like a chump. This is the end of the line with MacBook Pros for me. Uh, until they fix their shit, I'm, I'm switching to Linux. I've already ordered my new XPS. I'm putting Ubuntu on it, and I'm, I'm done with this bullshit. So I've already had kernel panics on this new laptop. I've never had a kernel panic. I didn't even know they kernel panic. I mean, obviously they do, but I, I didn't know that was that they did that. And I've already had that happen to me multiple times. I have apps crashing. I have the touch bar just like not showing up sometimes. Like the touch bar is an interesting, cute toy, right? It's not really that interesting, though. It's also running a whole other OS on yeah, the computer. Yeah, it's running like watch. It runs watch OS. It runs watch OS. Holy shit! I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The battery life is atrocious, at least on my 15-inch. Yeah, the battery on, life is on, on all of them. Yeah. Like, I couldn't even make it through a meeting. I showed up at a at a meeting with a 100% battery. Before the hour was up, I had a, was down to like 10 or 7% or wow. something like that. It's insane. It, it overheats. Really, really bad. Like, it's not a laptop anymore because it gets hot on your lap. Yeah, no, it's like, it's like burning potential. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan what they did with the, the iPhone 7. Like, I'll keep using iPhones because I'm... for. For fuck's sake, I'm not switching to Android. <laughs> you know what? I still like Android. Android is good. I use Android. It's it's not Android. It's not Android, the OS. The Android, the OS is awesome. I have a problem with Google. I'm like, if you listen to this podcast before, you also know that I have a problem with Google. Now I'm just getting more and more problems. <laughs> I, I got to join you on having I bash Apple pretty much all the time. But Mac OS is not stable. But like back in the day, everybody's like, use a Mac. It's bulletproof. You can't get viruses. It won't crash. Blah, blah, blah. Windows sucks. This thing crashes all the time. There's like weird system errors that I can't fix and nobody knows about because they're obscure. Yeah, it's, I'm not impressed, honestly. For this much money, I expect a much better development machine. All right, so if, if I burned all of your laptops right now, which I'm half tempted to, <laughs> what do you, what switch, do you switch to? to? I stick with the MacBook. 
I my, might, my old Mac. Yeah, yeah you can't pull my old. No, Mac I burned all those ones too. No, 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 no that one's hiding in the closet. I can't go to like Windows. I'm never gonna go to Windows. The last time I touched Windows was Windows XP. So maybe it's better. I know it is. It's great, but I'm not switching to it. Ubuntu's all right, but I'm okay. not gonna switch. Like, <laughs> I'm just not. Okay. Is anyone else tempted? Like I said, I was flirting with a Surface Book for a while. Window, I mean, I have Windows 10 at home. It's not much better either. They just, Microsoft shoves so much bloatware in there. It's like, I don't want Cortana, but they just keep shoving it. I uninstall it as best I can, and it just comes back in the next update. It's very frustrating. That's way different than Siri. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Siri's so different. Yeah. I mean, it, like a couple weeks after I got to San Francisco, my parents like did something crazy with their computer, and I had to basically like remotely try and help them reformat the whole thing, and it was a Windows experience, and it was so bad. <laughs> like, they tried installing Windows from scratch, and it, it like, paused at 99% for like three days straight and I'm like just wait a little bit longer <laughs> just wait a little bit longer and then it ended up being like oh you should probably unplug the printer and I bet that will fix it oh my god and it did but that's wow. Windows and like I just feel like that's still Windows for me I don't know if that's a Windows thing that's more the hardware thing peripheral so if you get hardware. a surface that's integrated and made to work with Windows stuff it's I have a feeling it's a much better experience than if you buy a Dell with a bunch of random hardware that, yes, true. technically it should work with Windows, but probably doesn't. Speaking of hardware, that's a good good transition to things that will happen in 2017. I already know. There's going to be major internet outages. Like, I already know it. There's, we saw in 2016, we saw unsecured routers. All these uh, internet-connected devices are unsecured. They're talking about now malware for your smart TV, which all TVs now pretty much are smart. Like, we're, we're in a lot of trouble for 2017. And a lot of security experts that I've read are just saying... All the like minor outages, and they were major outages, but they're calling minor outages were just like probing attacks just to see what people could do. And when someone actually harnesses that to take down a company, like we're in trouble. We just haven't invested in security. And it, it annoys me so much that the government just like they have all these other priorities. We had this crazy election, as we know, in the United States. We do have the best cyber. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. cyber <laughs> something. But, but it, yeah, yeah he just yeah. it's just clear no one there really cares about cybersecurity. And I think that's to our detriment. We have a lot of smart engineers in the United States, but nobody's working on security because- So is, is that on the government though? I mean, I, I get it, but is it on the government or is it on the manufacturers building the hardware and building the software for a device? Like we talked about smart TVs. Is that on the government or is that on the smart TV manufacturer? I think the government just has, I mean, like at this point, internet is part of our infrastructure, but no one's thinking about it as part of our infrastructure. So we don't have a corresponding government body that thinks about the internet as our infrastructure, like it should with highways and, and you know, like, well, okay, medical insurance is not considered infrastructure, but it's also sort of like a, a national thing that's going on at the moment. And I think that that's why individual companies haven't necessarily thought about it, but that's because we don't need someone coming down from high above saying, hey, you need to fix this, but there sort of need to be standards and procedures and you know, someone talking about it, at least regulations, that kind of thing. It almost needs to be part of our foreign policy as well, because a lot of these attacks aren't coming from the United States. Well, so we have cyber borders as much as we do have like actual physical sure, borders, yeah. and then we won't acknowledge that. So. so here's my thing, and Mars, I agree with you 100%. I think it is the government's responsibility, because say Yahoo. Yahoo got hacked in, what, 2012 or something? It was like a billion? That was a big one, too. And then it turns out it was like later, it was bigger than they said. Where, where's the, like, the accountability for that? Like... Yeah. This is costing people and other businesses real money. And, you know, if you if you have a bank and you leave the doors unsecured and they get robbed, the insurance company doesn't come in and be like, oh, we got you. Yeah, you know, is, is, these things happen. And of course not. They're going to slap them in the face and be like, no, we're not paying for this. And same thing for, like, companies that refuse to secure their internet devices. There should be liabilities for these things because there are real effects. The internet is part of our entire culture now. So you can't just be like, oh, our bad. We... we we MD5'd your, ha your password. <laughs> Our bad. We didn't know any better. Like, there's no excuse. We sent your password clear text and email when you forgot password. Oh, yeah. I've seen that, <laughs> too. Yeah, that's Still. That's egregious. Yeah. Sorry, everybody out there for my rant, but, it, like, I, I'm telling you, 2017, it's going to get worse. It is going to get much worse. Well, I mean, like, priority. there was the, the DNS attack this year, right? Oh, yeah. That brought down, like, a decent chunk of the internet. And, like, we haven't, as far as I know, I don't remember any attack of that scale ever, right? And that was minor. That was considered a minor attack. So hopefully the 2017 is the year of security. I, with our current administration, I doubt it. Well, I think also, I mean, 2017, there's security and then there's policy. I think there's going to be a lot of policy going on. Like, for example, we have the Internet of Things that are listening and watching and not to scare anyone, but just, you know, all the time, you know, 
you know, the Amazon Echo is always listening. Literally right now is listening to there, us. There's an, there's an Alexa here. <laughs> Alexa, to play Bon Jovi. Playing songs by Bon Jovi from Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear um, Zuckerberg got a lot of flack for his ad about Jarvis where he um, asked to play some Nickelback songs? <laughs> and goes, I'm sorry, there's no good Nickelback songs. <laughs> so the wife of Nickelback's lead singer uh, lashed out at Mark. <laughs> I don't know why everybody hates Nickelback. Like, they're not the world's worst band. It's just, like, trendy to hate them. <laughs> uh, things that I think would be big in 2016 that didn't turn out. I think WebAssembly ASM is not there yet. People thought it was going to be much bigger. It came out in like 2015, 2014, but it just nobody's really done anything yet. It, it was like announced and then fizzled. I think it's coming, but yeah. maybe it didn't happen in 2016. It's it's coming together. If you watch the progress on like their, their mailing list, it's coming together, but it's a big complicated beast and it's something that we don't want to fuck up because if it fucks up, then it's going to be another... What's the index DB, right? Like thing that we thought was gonna be super cool and then it ended up being like a pothole on the, on the history of the internet superhighway. So it's coming, they're, they're getting it right. They're introducing the, the correct types that we need to make it amazing. You know what one that I thought we would see an end to and it, and it definitely is a trend? Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Is parallax scrolling. Oh God. <laughs> be done with that. And it still exists. I can't stand it. I mean, there's a couple sites that probably do okay at it where it's done decently for a reason, but I can't think of too many. It's it's a rare case. I think people should stop using parallax scrolling. And I'm hoping in 2017 there's no more. Yeah, no, that one's atrocious. Another one that annoyed me that still hasn't died out is like people just programming for like desktop and not programming at all for mobile. Yeah. I look at your website way more often on my mobile phone. Like if I don't have to be in front of a computer, because that's literally my, my day job, then I'm not. Mobile first. I thought we've discussed this years ago, but I feel like that was like 2013 was that trend. Cheers. <laughs> well, on a similar note, what really bugs me, and this may not be a 2016 issue at all, specific to 2016, but mobile sites or mobile apps not having the same capabilities as the desktop app. One thing, for example, is Expedia. On Expedia, you can filter by pet-friendly amenities, and on mobile, you can't filter by amenities at all, and it is just the most annoying <laughs> thing ever. Ever! Expedia, the desktop, will encourage you to use the app because you get more points, but they don't have the same features. Anyway, so that's one example, but I've seen it time and time again of apps and mobile sites not having the same features as desktop and it just doesn't quite make sense given that we're all using mobile more than we are desktop definitely you know what i think actually adding to that and not just necessarily picking on expedia i think we haven't I, I expected to see a lot more people doing web apps i feel like we should slowly be moving away from the mobile apps like i feel like native apps shouldn't be as prominent as they are the web has gotten a lot more powerful i shouldn't have to download an app to basically do something of like filling out a flight information or anything like that. I can log into your site. It should be mobile friendly. There's a lot of features that are there. It's not perfect, but I feel like I would like to see more web apps, not mobile native apps. Well, one thing I hope we see in 2017, a, a trend, if you will, <laughs> Cheers. is Apple catching up on that, that front that we see service workers, progressive web apps, all that stuff coming to Apple as well. And I think a lot of companies are waiting until that's really solid on both the Android side and the iOS side before we're actually going to see real progress on totally doing away with native apps and just landing on, on web. I'm worried that Apple's not going to introduce them into Safari, like service workers especially. They have to at some point. There's going to be enough pressure at some point that it's going to reach critical mass. I mean, to me, it should be done sooner. I think they're trying to avoid like a security issue, but it's not really a security issue. I, I'm not really sure, but I, I wish they should be there already. I have my theory on this and, you know, because I'm on a podcast, I can espouse it to thousands of people, maybe millions one day. I don't think Apple supports service worker. It's in their five-year plan, but five years is, you know, a lifetime in front-end land. I don't think they support service workers and it's not security. It's because you can make apps that are so powerful, they look and feel like native apps, but they're outside the app store and they love their walled garden. And like, I respect them for that, but sure. they stifle innovation by not doing that. So I, they have a while before they support service workers. So I, I hope that everybody just keeps using them, keeps using them. And then Apple just slowly goes downhill. People are like, I'm not using Safari anymore. And sorry, they seem to deal with it. This is a decision they made two, three years ago and 
now it's come due. Like Edge supports them, Chrome, Firefox, Opera, yeah. just Safari. Like just not Safari. Yeah. It's pretty sad. Well, you can do Apple Pay on the web now. I mean, well, that's, that, I mean that, that is a start. That's positive progress, right? And they are pushing, well, they're pushing web payments in a lateral direction instead of forward, but at least they're thinking about it. Oh, what about web VR? Remember that? It's been around for a couple of years now, but it still hasn't. Yeah, I thing. thought it would pick up a little more steam than it has, yeah. but it hasn't. Oh. It's picked up some. Like uh, the ones really pushing it forward are Mozilla, right? They're the ones yeah. actually shipping different builds of Firefox that actually run on Vive, that run on Oculus. Like I did a, a couple talks this year in uh, Iceland and then Poland on using React with Web VR. Uh, React VR was announced this year, so like those things are kind of coming. They're interesting and. I think that one in particular is hinging on WASM, right? WebAssembly, because we need you need that kind of performance in order to get VR, you know, done correctly. So, do you think we'll see more of that in 2017? I think we need to see WASM come first, and I think we need to like really nail that first because, like, as someone that just bought a VR headset, if it's like laggy or jumpy or in any way bad, you get motion sick super fast. It's cool that it's it's a thought though that's happening. Like, you can run. Uh, Google Cardboard on you know an everyday Safari instance, which is really cool. That is really cool. Anyone have any big like surprises that they had in 2016 where they didn't expect something and it it actually happened? Not so much that like I think we talked about things that didn't turn out, but what are some things that you had no idea that would happen? The thing that I was disappointed with that I wasn't necessarily expecting is there was a lot of negative energy towards open source maintainers this year. Uh, the, the big one of the big blog posts this year was uh, Dear JavaScript from James Kyle. Poor fucking James Kyle. Like I, I, I feel a lot of sympathy for him. Um, he got shit all over. He's done amazing things with Babel, with Yarn, with Lerna. The guy's been doing amazing things. Like don't get me wrong. Like uh, Facebook pays him to do those kind of things, but nonetheless, he's doing amazing things. And if he's not doing your problem, then fuck you. Just either wait your turn or do it yourself, right? This is open source. That's the whole point of open source is we each take our turn and do something. And if you want to see something change, make the change. Yeah, I saw it on React Router. I saw it on like all sorts of repos. And I like that's what I really hope that I see curbed in 2017 is that we're, n- we're nicer to our constituents. The majority of people do this, even if you are being paid for it. That's great. That's awesome that you're getting paid to do that open source work. But there's a roadmap too, right? Like they have things that they need to do and you can't just jump on just because someone requested some feature doesn't mean you have to drop everything to do it. But especially the people that are doing this on their free time, that's that's tough. Yep, totally. Hopefully we see a better community. So how do you guys, it's an interesting question. How do you feel about big open source projects and you know the leaders getting swallowed up by bigger corporations and getting paid to work on those is that a good thing for open source is it a bad thing it's a thing that happens like i don't know if you need necessarily i don't need to necessarily qualify it as good or bad like it happens and react still happens right and i still get to use react so i'm I'm so like do you think any of these projects are steered by the corporations that pull these people in or is it are they still free to do exactly what they you know wanted to do are they able to follow the plan that they originally had or does it change once they get I think you're fooling yourself if you think React isn't steered by Facebook, right? Like it is, right? Like it's it's written to serve Facebook's purpose. If Facebook did not see benefit in it existing and paying people to work on it, they they wouldn't, right? Like this is not a labor of community or anything like that. This is business, right? And I just happen to benefit from their business, but that's the same as just about anything, right? There's benefits for having it open source. There is benefits for doing that and allowing other companies and people to work on it. Well, now if you want to go work at Facebook and you've been using React for a while, well, now you're actually familiar with what they're doing at Facebook. It also is a really good tool for recruiting too, is like, hey, you're using React to this, or we produce this really great product and you want to work on this? Hey, come work with us. I think so. Yeah, I, I agree with you. At the end of the day, there's so many benefits for the company, but I do love that they're going to share it back to the community is like, hey, this is what we're creating to solve our problems. If it helps you, that's awesome. Use it. But if it doesn't, well, we're not going to add in all these features that don't really matter to us because then it bloats the framework that we're trying to create. Definitely. I think in 2016, we saw more of the like the fragility of the open source ecosystem and that a lot of projects are maintained by like one or two people. And when they drop out, like you see innovation just drop completely. And people don't know that. They think these major massive projects are like backed by teams and teams of people when they're not. It's like usually some person 
maybe two that are really passionate about it steering it. And I think we saw that just, oh, like projects just tanked and they just got dropped and people complain They're like, well, you can always fork it and fix it. They're like, no, I don't really care that much. Yeah. But I totally agree. Uh, too many people bashing open source and not enough people contributing back to it. Was OpenSSL's problems this year? I think it was last year. I think it was last year. Or 2015. But, th- but I mean, that's that's a good example of that. Like one person maintaining a hugely important library yeah. and mm-hmm. it then being super overworked and all that kind of stuff. I think there's like a lot of really super big, very profitable companies that should you know donate to open source projects and they don't and they make a lot of money and they don't and they utilize these tools to make their like mission critical apps for their company and they don't contribute back at all and i just i think that's that's also part of that yeah. issue too definitely we do our part with our free podcasts yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. We, do, we do this for free on our own time we give back to the community and our own booze yeah. yes and our own booze what are you most excited for as we end everything we've talked about on 2016 what are you most excited for in 2017 i'm excited to see how like the way we think of what a ui is starts to change um and i think i've seen several examples even in 2016 even if they're in their infancy it's like react vr came out there's a lot of like vr um, sort of test UIs coming out and also other UIs like I saw this cool um, it's like this thing you put on your finger and it's like a new way of doing it like a keyboard in the air you can type on your phone I don't remember what it was called but it's just this this new new way of defining the UI you know either via wearables or VR and just seeing the UI kind of extend into like more of like our physical space is, is actually really really interesting or even like our you know digital space with VR and you know headsets and everything that is really cool I think we're going to see more and more of that yeah I'm interested to see if it actually picks up or not i think i'm a little bit skeptic on how much it will get picked up i think we're headed in the right direction but it will be interesting to see how much of a reality it actually is i'm excited and hopeful that and the front end as a community we turn kind of a lot of the negativity of 2016 like we saw with brexit and the elections just kind of a lot of hate going on that we turn that into empathy and we start building better applications that work in developing countries and we just, we just have more empathy because we can. We absolutely have that capability to kind of shape how the web is because that's what we do. We build the web. Make it better for everyone. Exactly. We, we I think of any people in history, we have the most power to change like what's going to happen. What's the narrative of the internet? And hopefully we do something. So I'm pretty excited about that in 2017. I'm actually, one thing I'm excited for, and it's probably like a stretch, is starting to see people rethink some CSS and I'm still skeptic that it will actually come into place <laughs> as we've seen with like SAS and LAS. That was a great, that was like, people can use IDs more. It'll be great. <laughs> Don't listen. <laughs> Don't use IDs. You will fail your programming interview. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. When is the last major leap we've seen in like CSS thinking of, of how we architect our applications? You know, there was Smacks. Uh, yep. Back in the day, there was a BEM, but I I don't think there's been any kind of innovation in that area in, in quite some time. I think the closest thing would probably be post-CSS, right? That's been the most interesting thing that's happened in a while. Yeah, that definitely changed a few things, but I still don't think it's as... Like, it's evolutionary, not revolutionary. Exactly. exactly. I think Houdini, like that's something I'm really excited about. I think that's a great step. CSS like, Houdini, that was a huge one. That one's going to be, it's going to be revolutionary because it's going to allow us, the developer, to invent new features, which may or may not make it into the browser eventually, right? It's it's the babble of CSS for us, right? We get to do new, exciting stuff that we couldn't do before. And I think that's what will push CSS forward, is being able to do it like a babble approach. Yeah, the community gets to push it forward. Exactly. Any other things that you're excited about? And the one thing that I'm not excited about <laughs> <laughs> is I'm, I'm, I'm really worried about like our rights on the internet, like uh, privacy, about net neutrality, about data retention laws and all that kind of thing. Like we're seeing some crazy laws coming out of the US, coming out of the UK. And so I think a lot of this stuff is going to fall to us, the developers, to kind of determine how our company operates. Because like, I don't think your CEO is going to come to us and like, make sure we're not keeping IP addresses, right? So it's going to fall to us, the developer, to say, like, I don't need to have this information on hand. So if I'm just going to drop it on the floor unless I absolutely require it, right? And you, are, as the developer, are required to make those kind of decisions. So the government can't ask you for something you don't have, right? So that's something I'm worried about. But I, I'm, I'm hopeful that developers are going to make the right decision on those kind of subjects. I'm excited to see tech companies kind of just do better. 
2016, they, they did pretty good. Like as a, as a whole, yeah, it was our own kind of echo chamber of San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco and the West and the coastal states. But I think in 2017, I'm excited to see more companies push back. Like Slack is doing a really good job in diversity. I know Netflix is big on like culture and inclusion. There's a lot of good temp- tech companies. Uh, I forget the president of Salesforce, but like he's really like he really pushes agendas, which do it. You know, like uh, people are going to push agendas anyway, so we might as well have a positive impact. So I hope to see more of that in 2017. Companies can make a pretty big impact too. I think that's the thing too, is that you have all these people using our products that we're building and we can make a pretty big difference. And so why not make a difference and make it better? I think one of the, I mean, I work at Netflix, but so I'll say it. I think one of the big things for even net neutrality was Netflix was like, no, we're not going to pay you more. And like they, taking that stand really changed the internet for the next couple of years. And I, I, you're right, it's coming back and they keep trying to like, creep it back in there so i mean soon we'll all have gigabit internet so we need to kind of push a little harder as a vocal community and be like no we're not gonna pay more because i want to watch this it's ridiculous all right as we wrap up today's episode let's share some picks of things that we have found interesting to share let's go around the table and share the picks for today's episode Mars, you want to start it off? Sure. I'll start off with two newsletters that I found actually pretty useful this year. Um, One is called the React Status Newsletter, and the other is the Front End Focus Newsletter. And they just have really interesting links to new projects, to new trends. Oh, uh uh-oh. That was was unintentional. Just kind of cool stuff that people are doing in the community that's either getting a lot of hype or isn't, and it's it's kind of just needs a little bit of light. So I found those really interesting. Uh, I have two picks today. First one is an album from Run the Jewels, RTJ3. It's my album of the year. I love it. (laughs) It's an amazing album. You should go check it out. And then my second pick is going to be an alternative to Bash. Bash is great. I use Bash forever, but I started using Fish which is in a different shell. And I'm kind of in love with it. It's kind of a pain sometimes because you have to like make sure that you're interopping every time with Bash. But for, when you're, for every other instance, it's, it's super awesome. I've really enjoyed it. Great. Jam, what do you have? Uh, my first pick is a Netflix original called Travelers. It was kind of low-budget sci-fi, but I binge-watched that thing, very the whole show, very quickly. And it's probably one of my favorite shows of 2016. Wow. Yeah, I, I, and everybody everybody that knows me knows I'm very critical of movies and TV shows. Very true. And my second pick was actually all the listeners we met in 2016. It's been incredible just doing this podcast with everybody, and we met a lot of people Definitely. all around the world that they'll be like, hey, you're on Front and Happy Hour. I love that. And, you know, I'm in Europe, and it's so cool just, you know, reaching out and meeting people from around the world, and even the United States. Made a lot of good friends this year. Who knew that people would listen to it? <laughs> Our drunken rats. Yeah, it was a random idea. Biggest surprise of 2016. Shower thoughts. <laughs> that should be my my last pick is Jem's shower thoughts, which we need to bring that back. All right, uh, so my picks. Uh, my first one is New Clyde. Or, um, a teammate of mine uh, mentioned uh, that it might be a cool add-on for Adam. To we do some stuff with Flow, and we do some stuff. Um, with React, and there's some, a lot of built-in like niceties inside of there, um, type ahead, type checking, all that kind of stuff like inline. So that was pretty cool. I'm just starting to check it out, and I like it so far. And then Yarn, we talked about that earlier in the episode, and uh, I just right now I'm sh- there's more benefits than than I'm mentioning, but the speed thing to me was huge. Uh, so my first pick is a Vim plugin called Vim Dev Icons. And what this does is just puts the icon of the file type you're editing or looking at in NerdTree or Command-P. Does it work in Sublime? I don't know. I, 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 I found it because... I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just trolling you. <laughs> so the reason I was looking for this and I made it my pick is because that really bothered me when I switched from Atom to Vim. I didn't have that. Okay. Um, I used a, a theme in Atom that had it, and I was really bothering me. Um, I don't know why, why it's important to me, but it, it just is, and it just looks nice. Does it bother you more than fingerprints on your screen? Nothing, Nothing bothers me more than that. Okay. <laughs> and my second one is podcast from the Runner's World magazine. Um, and I just stumbled onto this the other day, and I wasn't quite sure what I would, to make of a, a podcast about running, but it actually was really entertaining, and I, I really enjoyed it, and I listened to almost all the back episodes already, so from one podcast to another, it's really good, uh, really enjoyable, so... How many episodes are there? 20-something. Not bad. No. All right. Uh, I have two picks for us uh, this episode as well. One is a gift that my wife got me. is called the Electric Objects Frame. 
It's actually something that Jem had suggested. And great, great gift is you can actually display art in a digital frame. And it's like a large frame. It's not like your little tiny picture frames that you put on a desk or anything like that. And so it's actually made me recreate a bunch of art that I've done in the years past uh, using Illustrator files. So I've really enjoyed it. Uh, we're actually displaying right now a front end happy hour uh, logo right now. So that's pretty badass. You can change whatever you're displaying. And then my second pick going along with the theme of today is we all really enjoy conferences. And I've always really struggled with trying to find all the different conferences that are for the year. So I've created a list of 2017 conference lists. It's on my GitHub. So I guess it's a bit self-serving to promote that. But honestly, I, I created it to try and make everyone else's life easier because there's so many great conferences out there and definitely worth checking it out. Definitely. Sarah Drasner has one too on CSS tricks. Yeah, she, her and I were like uh, collaborating on between the two. Oh, is cool. like she was looking at mine, I was looking at hers, and we're like, oh shit, there's some that we don't have, and so we both grabbed from each other, which is good because I feel like it, it, it's hard to find all the list of conferences that are out there. For sure. You know what could solve that? RSS prediction trend for 2017. <laughs> the return of, of RSS. RSS. <laughs> yes, we like. Return of all tech. Before we end the episode, where can people get in touch with you, Mars? Um, I'm on Twitter at Mars Josephine. Smoke, Smoke signal. signal. <laughs> I think you made that joke before. No, no, well, oh, it's, <laughs> it's a trend. <laughs> Holt BT on Twitter, I guess. Jem Young on Twitter. Stacy Londoner on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Bittersweet Ryan. And I'm at Burgess D. Ryan on Twitter. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to rate us on iTunes and Google Play and subscribe to the Front End Happy Hour podcast on whatever you enjoy listening to your podcasts on. And follow us on Twitter at Front End HH. Anyone have any last words? Start off the year. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope 2017 is better than 2016. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> that's a trend. That's a trend. <laughs> that's a trend. <laughs>